0: Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me, as he always does, is our Pastor of Education, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And Sam and I, this week, are going to be getting into Desiring the Kingdom, which is our series on the Book of Kings, uh, really kind of covering how what we're all longing for is the kind of kingdom, the kind of place to exist, that really only the Heavenly King can give Mm -hmm. us. Um, and Sam, we're going to be picking up, interestingly enough, we're going to rewind here a little bit before we plow into First Kings, because we finished with Samson, right, at the mm-hmm. end of Judges, but it was right before uh, something happened in Israel that created this deeply divided country that to understand kings, we've got to kind of understand that. So mm-hmm. what happened after Samson that sets this all up?
1: All right, so t- just just to give a brief warning, <laughs> last week we tried to cram four chapters into a time, into one hour of a podcast, and yes. today we're, like, trying to cram four books of the Bible Yay! into the first half of our hour-long podcast. Yeah. So. So what happens after Samson, we talked about in our last podcast episode about the book of Judges, that it's spiraling downward as it's continuing the cycle of sin and repentance and salvation that just continues in in Israel. It's also spiraling downward. And you get to Samson when he delivers Israel or begins to deliver Israel from the Philistines, you see that there's nobody who wants God anymore. You know, nobody's praying for a deliverance. It's the first time that pattern gets broken where usually, you know, God hands them over to their idols and, you know, they have to cry out for a savior and he raises up one. Well, with Samson, nobody cries out. Nobody wants him. And so then after the Samson story, you come to one of the most objectionable, horrific, awful stories in all of Scripture, but it's really important to understand because it sets up uh, some of what you're going to see through the kings, even into Jesus' day, and and this is what happens. There's a Levite um, who is, has a concubine. Why does he have a concubine? You're, you're thinking, you know, the Levites, they're the teachers. They should be the most godly. But this is an era where there's almost nobody who's godly. Mm-hmm. So this concubine runs away from him. We don't know why. It's probably because he's abusive. But she lives in Bethlehem, which should trigger some things. So the Levite chases her to Bethlehem. He gets there. The father's basically pleading with him, marry my daughter, you know, give her some honor. He doesn't. But then they go on a journey, and they pass by the city of Jebus, which is a pagan Canaanite town, on their way to a city that's supposed to be a city of the people of God, which is a city called Gibeah. Gibeah is in the tribe of Benjamin. Hang with me; this will become important. <laughs> so, so Gibeah is in the tribe of Benjamin, and that night, everyone—it's a—it's a total repetition in Judges chapter nineteen. It is a total repetition of Genesis nineteen with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where now it's the people of God who are doing the same things that the Sodomites did. They come to the door. They demand to come in. They're banging on the door. They are demanding to rape those inside. And this Levite does something that's unbelievably atrocious, awful. Brace yourself. It's gross. He takes his concubine, this young woman, from Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah, and he throws her outside, and then he goes to sleep. And that Mm -hmm. night she is savagely abused all night. He wakes up in the morning. So think about how evil you have to be to go to sleep. He wakes up in the morning, opens his door, and he sees his concubine – dead with her hand at the threshold of the door like she was trying to find safety, but he turned a blind eye. And so then he does this unbelievable thing. He knows that Israel is now so evil that they won't care, but he's outraged that this has happened. So he chops her body up and you're going, what in the world is going on in Israel? That's meant to make you think what in the world is going on in Israel. And he sends her body to the, to the tribes, all the tribes, and says, this has been done in Gibeah among the Benjaminites. And all of Israel is so outraged at this evil that they all come together and they go to the city of Gibeah and they say, hand over the rapists. We demand justice. And Benjamin coalesces and says, we're not going to hand over any of our own. You know, we're going to defend these rapists. And so the tribe of Judah rises up and they go in and they bring justice. But they, the whole nation of Israel goes way beyond justice. And they commit this genocide against the tribe of Benjamin to where at the end of this genocide, there are 300 Benjaminite men left. Mm. So after committing this genocide, the elders of Israel come together and they say, well, if Benjamin's going to repopulate, they need wives. And so they, they actually kind of begin this sexual slave trade where they're kidnapping girls that are dancing and worshiping outside the tabernacle. They go to Gilead and they take more girls to make sure that they have wives. I mean, unbelievably – Wicked, And what's behind that story that that we're to pick up on is here you have a Levite who's from the caste of the priest who goes to Bethlehem, who leaves, you know, comes down to Bethlehem to seek a bride, but refuses to marry her, Um, and then is going to throw her outside so that he can have peace and safety, but she gets abused by the Benjaminites all night. Mm. And so the idea that this is setting up, long before you get into the book of Samuel with King David – is Benjamin and Judah have conflict, right? It's the Benjamin abused this woman from the city of Bethlehem in Judah, and that, that thread is going to follow you all the way through the Bible. Because remember, later on, it's going to be Saul, who, by the way, when he's made king, he's a Benjaminite. The reason why they wanted Saul to be king as a Benjaminite is because he was part of a decimated tribe. They weren't a threat, and they'd been reduced down to 300 people, and Saul's like probably the grandson or great-grandson of these people. And the city that he's from, take a guess, Gibeah. Oh, he's from okay. the very city that raped this woman that set this whole thing off. And so when they go to choose a king, they think, hmm, we've got all of Israel. <laughs> We're going to go to the city that's known for the deepest wickedness. Um, and Saul then, from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, becomes king, and what does he do? He— is going to have this young boy, this young shepherd boy who kills the giant Goliath and comes up to fame, and what is he going to do? He's going to go after him. So here you have Saul from from Gibeah who is persecuting David from the tribe of Judah and Bethlehem. So here you have that echo again, right? And so Saul is this wicked king. He, he He ends up being terrible, and David comes to power. And he's from Judah. This is the line where the the, the kingship is always supposed to come through Judah. That's the prophecy given at the end of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so David rises to power. And right out of the gates, you see this unbelievably noble king. He's a man after God's own heart. He writes the Psalms. He does all these things. He actually takes Saul's grandson and restores him. He shows mercy. He he does all these wonderful godly things at the beginning of his reign. But once he has power once he once he consolidates power and he's wealthy and he's expanded his kingdom and he's now you know everybody looks up and says whoa king david you're you're big stuff then he falls yeah he falls he he has an affair with bathsheba he sees no problem with with killing her husband uriah having him killed in battle and and he gets confronted at the end of at his fall by the prophet nathan who comes to him and says you know, you're supposed to be set apart, David. Like, we've just come through this unbelievably wicked season. Now we have this semi-revival. You're a man who's leading the people toward godliness. And now look what you've done. And he says, because you have done this, because you committed adultery, because you had Uriah murdered, and then this is the big one, because you've given the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme his name, the sword, and this is a big deal, the sword will never depart from your house. And now the rest of David's life, even though the Lord forgives him and David returns to him and David loves the Lord, the rest of David's life is not going to be like the first part of David's life where just God's favor is on his kingdom and everything is going well. After this, you know, David's – one of his sons is going to rape one of his daughters, And then that son is going to be killed by another son who's angry at David for not doing anything about the rape. And then that son, Absalom, is going to challenge him for the throne, is going to overthrow David, drive him out of the city. He's going to take David's concubines, rape them on the top of the palace uh, to shame David for his sins. And then David will overthrow his son, and in doing so, he gives the order not to kill his son, but a wicked general named Joab has David's son Absalom killed, and David is left. You know, when it said the sword will not depart from your house, good grief, mm. like, he's got children dying, he's got a nation divided, he's got a reputation that's <laughs> in, in dire straits. And so when you come to First Kings – that's David is nearing his death, and you've got a house that has fallen apart. And David has two well-known sons that are still alive, and both of them have eyes for the throne.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But one of them was promised the throne.
0: You know, um, one thing that I wanted to comment on is that during this time, uh, back in the Book of Samuel. When the people came to Samuel and said, We want a king to lead us, um, Samuel said to them, You know, no, you don't. Back and forth argument. Finally, mm-hmm. Samuel turns to God and God says, Hey, do what they tell them. Give them, you know, give them a king because they haven't rejected you, Samuel, as their leader. They've rejected me. And as part of that, part mm-hmm. of their plea to Samuel was they said, We want a king over us to be just like every other nation. And that's a really, that's a, such a sad thing for the people of God to, to declare mm-hmm. that we want to be just like all the other people. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be your distinct people, your distinct nation anymore. We want to have a king over us just like everybody else. And then Samuel actually gives them a very uh, stern talking to (laughs) where he tells them what's going to happen when you get a king. The king is going to take all these things from you. He's going to take your your daughters and your sons and he's going to take your money. And it was like a big laundry list of things that you're not going to like having a king. And they said, well, we don't care. Give us a king. And that was the beginning of all this.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, there's a picture, and this is one of the things that you'll find – you find it in Saul, by the way. Saul, for a while, for a very brief while, was a decent king. God God had anointed him, protected him, gave him favor, and for a very brief season, Saul is okay until he's not, until he gets too big for his britches, and he thinks, you know what, I can do this apart from God, and he gets big in his own eyes. Um and then he falls apart. The same exact thing will happen with David. In the first part of his life, he sets off revival in the country. Everything is great. Why? Because David is entirely leaning upon the Lord. He's merciful toward his enemies. He seeks to bring unity. He's he's godly, he's charitable, he's he's all of these things that you would want in a king. He hears the people. He he goes out with them in battle. He's he's with them in their situations. But then he becomes proud. Yeah. And and he begins to see, hey, I'm the king. I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to take whatever I want because I'm the king, and that's the downfall of David. And, and so where I was going with that, you see the same pattern we're going to find in Solomon where right. out of the gates he has, he's wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful, um, and he's going to reign, and he's going to do wonderful things for Israel, but guess what happens? He gets too big for his britches, sure. <laughs> you know, as my mom used to say. And you can predict what's going to happen. And so there's something inside of us. We we have this instinct to where we long for a good king. We want a good king. We want the first part of David and the first part of Solomon, you know, who, who they reign with wisdom and with justice and mercy and balancing these things. But we as a people know that no matter who we put in authority as king or, you know, in a democracy, whatever you want to say, Guess what's going to happen? They may start strong, but because they're fallen, they will grow too big for their britches. And when they do, they will fall. So you cannot, the Bible is teaching you, you cannot put your hope in an earthly king. Ultimately, you can't. They are going to fail.
0: It seems like that's. Just a, such a common thing. The Book of First and Second Kings tell the story of. of uh, I know this now. I'm, I'm, I'm educated because I watched the Great Bible Project video
1: <laughs> summarizing. <laughs> Those are great.
0: They're awesome. I linked that in with this week's uh, personal worship. If you don't get our study notes, you should. We uh, we put out every Monday our personal worship study notes where we through the week we consider the passage that will be preached on that coming Sunday. Um, and at any rate, I, I remember seeing that it was uh, forty kings. Uh, over this time period, 20 in the northern kingdom, 20 in the southern kingdom. And they pointed out that in terms of good king, wicked king, the northern kingdom in this history book, in the two books of kings, were 0 for 20, <laughs> no good kings, all wicked kings. And in the southern kingdom, it was 8 for 20. Like, 8 of the kings, they said, were walked with the Lord, and the mm-hmm. other 12 of the 20 were like, they were terrible right from the get-go. But mm-hmm. even the 8 that walked from the walked with the Lord for a time – would fall apart you know mm-hmm. at some point so even when it starts off well it seems like there's they just can't sustain this over a long period of time
1: yeah and when we say that they're good kings you know it's kind of like in the and with air quotes <laughs> yes. you know, going on because they do that every one of them has a fatal falling apart uh, something that they do that really damages their kingdom
0: yeah Well, it seems that way with all the Bible heroes. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about Bible heroes during Judges, and um, you've made that comment many times. Every hero in the Bible, save one, save Jesus, Mm -hmm. every hero in the Bible has at least one fatal flaw. Some Mm -hmm. of them have more than that, but every one of them has at least one fatal flaw in their character.
1: Yeah, every single one of these stories uh, in the Old Testament because you you do start to wonder if you're reading this as though this whole book is to give you good examples to follow, you're reading this going, why does this tell us this? (laughs) You know, David's fall with Bathsheba, this isn't giving you a moral example. It's training you toward humility, which by the way is the gateway to every single Christian virtue. It is teaching you, do not think you're strong enough to walk alone. Do not think you're wise enough to do it all on your own. You have to lean upon the Lord because every single story in the Old Testament is making you realize, oh, my goodness, they all fail. Well, if they all fail, then good grief. I'm going to need mercy. I'm going to need humility. I'm going to – you know, eventually I'm going to have to eat humble pie because I'm going to fall apart. I need to lean on the mercy of the Lord and humble myself and show kindness to others because there's going to be a day when I need their kindness to me. And we've lost that. Like, Good grief. If, I mean, if I, could, if I could pour out extra doses on everybody in our country and you, you gave me one attribute that everybody need, I'd say humility. We – I would agree with that. We lack humility, and humility leads to all the other virtues. Yep. And the Old Testament is getting you to realize you cannot do it. It's whetting your appetite for one who can because only Jesus is the unfailing hero.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take it one little tiny step further there and say that not only is it only that humility leads to the other virtues, but I think humility is required mm-hmm. for the other virtues. Without it, you don't ever get there.
1: Yeah. You know? I, I mean, you, yeah. you think through love. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is love but selflessness? It's, it's right. loving others at the cost to yourself. I mean, you think patience. All of this requires humility, right. every one of them. That's yeah. it's why when, when the command is given to Christians, you know, what that life looks like, how do we become more like Jesus? You take up your cross and you crucify your flesh. You cannot crucify your desires unless you're humble enough to recognize that God's desires matter more and your neighbor's needs matter more. Yeah.
0: So um, that brings us to 1 Kings 1, <laughs> which, which starts off with a kind of an interesting story in the first four verses. It tells us that King David was old and advanced in years, which is what you pointed out, that we're, we're picking up with the end of David's reign and the beginning of Solomon's. Um, and it says that he couldn't get warm, um, so they brought in uh, a young woman— uh, Abishag the Shunammite I've I worked on that Pronouncing that name Abishag the Shunammite I was there um, I, I, I'm just doing I'm trying to do better On my name <laughs> pronunciations They're terrible I just struggle with Old Testament names But the idea was Basically that she would Come in and she would Lay in bed with him To warm him up mm-hmm. Which sounds really weird to, it does. to us in the 21st century, but I, I just, as I pointed out in the study notes, they didn't have electric blankets back then. <laughs> um, it, in In that time, in that ancient time, it really wasn't unusual. Now, if you weren't the king... They might put one of the livestock in the bed with you or some dogs or something like that. The king got the beautiful young woman, um, but the Bible goes out of its way to make sure to let us know that it wasn't a sexual thing. She just laid in bed and warmed him up. So if you start off reading in First Kings and your first reaction is, what? Um, that's really what it was. David was old and he needed to stay warm.
1: Yes. So some of the some of the ancient commentaries on this, they refer to her as a nurse. Yeah. And so this was actually like what you're hearing about, hey, let's get a woman to lay in bed with them. You're like, well, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and, and today that, that is kind would of be creepy. creepy. <laughs> we have electric blankets today. You can warm up some <laughs> other way, you know. But one of the things like – and they have this in, in writings of other cultures at this same time period, ancient writings, where it refers to nurses that would do exactly this. So it's 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 actually kind of a, a medical occupation.
0: Yeah, and it's not. It really wasn't an unusual thing. I, mm-hmm. I just know it's such a, it's such a weird thing that people are like, mm-hmm. if if you know anybody from Tennessee, I knew I have a lot <laughs> of friends from Tennessee. Ask them what a three- Where are you going with this? Ask them what a three-dog night is, and they will explain to you what a three-dog night is, and you'll understand, um, which you, you know that old saying, right? You know the isn't, three, there a,
1: isn't there a music band, three-dog night, three night, or
0: something? Three-dog night was a music band, but that's, it was a saying in people from the South, and specifically my friends from Tennessee, used to go, man, last night was cold. It was a three-dog night. That's where you'd get at least three dogs to sleep in the bed with you because you'd want to stay
1: warm. Yeah, so, I'm not sure that makes it less weird. Well, it's- <laughs>
0: Okay, but I'm just saying, how cold is it? I want three of them big old hound dogs to lay in bed with me. So, yeah, it's It's kind of a, you know, before electric blankets, you had, you had people. You had the right. nurses. So after this story, we start off with the story of Adonijah in verse 5 of chapter 1.
1: And Abishag will come back, as we'll yes. see, chapter 2 next week. Yeah. Um, her role will become important in where this story goes as far as Adonijah will ask for her. To marry her, but it also says when we talk about this being weird, it does make a a point at the end of verse four to say the king knew her not. So this is not sexual. David, David is so sick, I think at this point, yes, and and weak that that's not even an option that's on the table. Yeah. Uh, we start with Adonijah. Now, Adonijah
0: was uh, a, one of David's sons. He was at this time, we think, probably the oldest living son. Um, we know already that Amnon uh, was one of David's sons. Who that's the one that raped Tamar, his half sister, and Absalom, Tamar's full brother and Amnon's half brother. These mm-hmm. David's family was a mess. Yeah, um, Absalom killed Amnon, and then rebelled against David, and as you mentioned, he himself was killed by Joab. There's another son, Chiliab, that's mentioned, but we don't know anything about him. like he's mentioned and never mentioned again, so the assumption in the commentators is just he must have died young or Mm -hmm. early or something. And uh, so Adonijah is the oldest son of David at this point, and then so kind of by rights, wouldn't the oldest son of the king... Become king, right? You would think yeah, that that would the be the case, for but sure. but that's not what had been promised to David. David was promised that uh, that Solomon would become king, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it seems like Adonijah knows that because he, he later on affirms that the Lord had had promised the throne to to Solomon, right? So he he it seems like he's aware.
0: Yeah, I mean, he starts off in verse five. It says Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself, you know, saying, "I will be king." Um,
1: That's bad news. Right out of the gates. Right out of the gates. Um, Exalted himself. So he doesn't even come lowly at the start.
0: No. Um, It says he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And then verse 6 says this, and this is really interesting, Sam. He said, And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? Like he's never, the father Mm -hmm. never corrected him at all. Uh, And then it notes that uh, he was also very good looking. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do think that, that what it's trying to tell us here, right, is that, is that he was popular with the people. Mm-hmm. Um, he was popular, he was a good looking guy. Um, and David had, had completely lost control over his family.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's showing you. I mean, the way that he's being described when it says that that he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen. In other words, he wants to come into this role as king with all the pomp and circumstance. You know, fifty men to run before him, and he's very handsome. These are all the exact same ways that Absalom was described. You know, Absalom does all this stuff with pomp and circumstance, and he is also handsome. And it's it's letting you know. This happened already. Yeah. David David already had one son who went down this road of folly and it cost them their life. Right. And now you have the same exact pattern is happening again with Absalom's younger brother who's doing all the same stuff and it's laying the blame squarely on the shoulders of David. He right. d- he should have learned from this. I mean, he should have never done it in the first place with Absalom, but you'd think after Absalom, he definitely would have learned his lesson, but yeah. he doesn't.
0: No, he doesn't. And, and in case we're forgetting that Absalom, he's like it, the verse tells us, and he was born next after mm-hmm. Absalom. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's pulling your mind to say, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember how that ended. This
0: just happened a little bit ago. <laughs> yeah. um, Adonijah was smart. Uh, he was going to, you know, he's he's setting up this attempt to overthrow his father or to or to circumvent the succession to Solomon anyway. I don't know whether he was going to try to overthrow David at that point or what the plan was. But it says that he conferred with Joab and with Abiathar. Joab was the leader of the army. Um, Abiathar was the priest that was uh, the – he was the continuation of the line of Eli, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I want to say he's like – what is it? So the great-grandson or something like that? Something like that. Um, okay. and, and
0: actually, he becomes
1: – Eli is no bueno.
0: Yeah, Eli's no bueno. Eli's sons were mucho no bueno. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we'll visit them again next week because a lot of these stories that we start here, that we touch on in Chapter 1, uh, start to resolve themselves in Chapter 2. Uh, so next week you'll be hearing about more about Abiathar and about Joab. Um, but these were people that were powerful in the kingdom. There's another priest named Zadok, and he and Abiathar were kind of like one and one A. They were sort of at the top of the, heast, top of the heap of being priests in the kingdom. So my point is, these were influential people. Adonijah mm-hmm. um, knew how the game of thrones was played. He, he went to people that had influence and power and said,
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you want to be on my side? It says he conferred with them. And then it says in verse seven that they followed him and helped him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he knows that when the people see, oh, my goodness, Joab's with him, I mean, it gives him instant credibility. So he's he's setting the chess pieces very cleverly, like you said. He's doing very well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem then he does is he lives he leaves out some very important people as well, obviously knowing that these people are more loyal to his father, David. Uh, verse 8 says that uh, Zadok the priest, uh, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet,
1: which we remember from the mm-hmm. – He's the one who confronted – David about Bathsheba, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's the one who said, you know, the Lord has put away your sin talking to David, but because of your sin this sword will not depart from your house. And so with Nathan, his his pronouncement on David is, hey, the Lord will forgive you for your sin. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that your sin will not have consequence. Yes. And that sword is all this chaos that we read about in these chapters is the consequence of David's sin.
0: Um, it also tells us that there's some other guys, Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men, who were not, not with Adonijah. So there, you know, Adonijah reached out to people within David's government that he knew were going to support him. They did support him. He knew who wouldn't be on his side. He avoided them. This was pretty well kind of set up by Adonijah. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 9, he does something that is I think is interesting. Um, it says that Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by some place called the Serpent's Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like I, I feel like that's significant? I feel like a Genesis three callback going on here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely, definitely a callback to Genesis three. It says Adonijah sacrifices at the place called the Serpent Stone, which immediately in your brain you're going, "What is that about?" Yeah, but then it said, "Which is beside Enrogel, Ain, and and uh, and the Bible is is a word for spring, like Engeti or Enrogel." But rogel literally means it can mean treading and it can mean foot, and so put those together, right? So what is the promise of the gospel given in Genesis three fifteen? And it's that the foot of the Savior is going to crush the head of the serpent. And so here mm-hmm. you have Adonijah who is, you know, throwing this great party at a place called the serpent stone, which is right beside the foot. <laughs> you know essentially <laughs> and it's saying uh, you know it's it's pointing to somebody's head's about to get crushed here somebody is satanic
0: um obviously his plan of, of doing these sacrifices there was to create uh the oppression rather that he's somebody following the lord i mean this was mm-hmm. like a it, it's he's wrapping himself in the mantle of the lord here
1: no doubt No, I mean he's got he's got the priest, he's got Abiathar, and he's he's sacrificing, and he's doing, and even his name Adonijah means Yahweh is the Lord, right? You know, so it's he's cloaked in all the religious trappings. He's got everything. I mean, it looks and it looks like he's doing this out of devotion. I'm doing. I'm going to sacrifice to to really bring us, you know, with the Lord's favor and all this stuff. Uh, But he's doing it all secretly in utter rebellion, Uh and he knows it. He knows it.
0: And then he tells us that, uh, it tells us in verse 10, it says, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. (laughs) Notice he left off Solomon. Solomon, no. Uh, On the guest list, Solomon? No, no, no. We don't want
1: Solomon on the guest list. That would be bad. Or Nathan. Nathan's good at truth bombs. Yes.
0: (laughs) Which happens again, right? I mean, it's like, so, so obviously, although Nathan wasn't invited, word reached Nathan that this was going on. Yeah, uh, verse 11, it says he talks to Bathsheba and asks her, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Um, why do you think he came to Bathsheba instead of going right to David first? Uh, he does go to David at some point here. But any thoughts as to why maybe he came to Bathsheba first?
1: Well, David had made the promise to Bathsheba. Oh, okay. um, And you know that that your son will be on the throne. And so, uh, you know, there's there's some commentaries talk about how. Um, you know where the testimony of an event has to be established by two people. That's in the Old Testament law of Moses. Uh-huh. And so, coming with two people verifies it. It's like if you hear from somebody, you can be like, "Ah, oh, that's rumor." But if you hear from multiple people, you are like, "Oh, wait a minute. There is some. There is something to this." Yeah. And so Nathan is wise enough that he wants he wants to bring in somebody that David loves and trusts, which is Bathsheba. Nathan, of course, is trusted by David. Um, but he wants to not only provoke David's mind, hey, are you aware of this, but he is wanting to provoke David's heart. This is Bathsheba and her son that are probably going to die. In the ancient world, if, if you had a king who took the throne but had other people who could lay claim to it for any other reason, more often than not, they just wiped them out. It was gross, but it's what happened. Mm-hmm. And so Nathan wants not only to Like I said, to go to David's brain, hey, do you really want this? But then to, you know, bring in – because you realize you're going to lose Bathsheba and probably Solomon if this goes through. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, it's pretty well established that the worst thing to be was the brother of the king (laughs) in the
1: the ancient world. It's like if your brother
0: was suddenly elevated to be king, you're like – Oh, crap. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find a new place to live. Um, because a lot of those kings just ex- – they would ex- extinguish anybody that could have any mm-hmm. kind of a lateral claim to the throne.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the northern kingdom that comes after the split later on in, in First Kings. And I want to say a majority of the kings of Israel – if it's not a majority, it's close to a majority – are ass- assassinated – Hmm. Um, It's a tremendous – the the northern kingdom is tremendously wicked. And if you were king, I mean, it's like – it's a pretty dangerous job to have.
0: It, it describes how long they would rule, and for some of them, you know, you had to imagine that at some point, like, this guy showed up for a day and a half, we killed him. <laughs> um, I
1: mean, really? <laughs> certainly seems that way. Life expectancy uh, for a king of Israel was not too good.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, uh, what was the story we used to tell uh, about the Reformation days, the yeah. people that went to Calvin's seminary? Oh, um,
1: it was like six months Six or months, something. yeah.
0: Insane. Like, they'd graduate and go off to, you know, pursue their career or whatever 6 months was the yeah. average lifespan after seminary that it can you imagine that in your that's recruiting material
1: yeah that's how intense the persecution was yeah. so like but these people would say i don't care i want to give my life for the spread of the gospel and they knew graduating from this it was 6 months that's well, that's about goodness. how long you could expect to last
0: so nathan makes that point to bathsheba that you just made he's nathan says uh, you know now therefore come let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, and he lays out this plan for her to go in before King David and remind him of his promise. Um, that's also something that was, I think, struck me as I was reading it. Is that, um, and we've had we've encountered this in in other places where people in their prayer uh, they remind God, God, you have said, you know, you said these things, um, and we've talked about that. That's not, you know, that's not an, an arrogant thing in terms of of prayer. If God's made a promise, then when we pray we pray that promise we claim that promise lord you've told us this in your word um and so this kind of situation of her going in uh and going before david and reminding him of his own promise i think uh is n- it's certainly not a very unusual way to speak to power to say look this is you- this is your plan not my plan
1: yeah and i mean she she does it with with humility too you know didn't you swear to your servant you know so she's she's coming in saying look i'm not i'm not challenging your role, you know, I'm not saying bend to me, but didn't you promise this? And David is going to prove true to his word. Yeah. You know, and where David is true to his word, how much more is our Savior true to his word, you know?
0: And as Nathan unrolls the plan here, you know, he says that, uh, did you not, as like you said, did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant saying, Solomon, your, your son – shall reign after me and he shall sit on the throne and then why then is adonijah king <laughs> <laughs> um that's you know okay so her part hmm. is to she's she's to play the part of the uh my lord um what's going on
1: yeah and then playing the playing the dumb role
0: right well, that's my job. I, I ask the dumb questions. Um, <laughs> so that's it. She's going to ask the question, why then is Adonijah king? Nathan says, then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words, which is what you were saying earlier, that by two witnesses, things are, are confirmed. Yeah.
1: And that literal word means, if there's a note probably in your Bible, it's expand on. So Bathsheba, you go in with the basic facts, and I'll come in and give color commentary as to how this all came about.
0: Right. Uh, Because he's going to provide details that she doesn't provide. Um, uh, So her part is just to ask the question, you know, didn't you say Solomon was going to be king? What's up? Uh, (laughs) So it says that uh, Bathsheba went into the king. This is verse 15. Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber, uh, and it tells us parenthetically, now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. So sort of that nursing role. Um, In verse 16, she bows, Bathsheba bows and pays homage to the king, and the king said, what do you desire? She says, uh, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord, your God, saying Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my Lord, the king, do not know it. Um, when I was reading some of the history coming up to this, um, for example, and we'll find this out later. Spoiler alert, folks, if you if you don't want to know what Joab does, you can fast forward 30 seconds or whatever. But Joab um commits murder uh, basically down the line uh, that's before all this happens but he's guilty of some premeditated killings mm-hmm. to basically out of revenge in one case in another case really just ambition he wanted to eliminate a rival to be leader of the army um, and in those cases it again it says but David didn't know it um, and I just that phrase seems to pop up often enough that I noticed it mm-hmm. and I'm like David doesn't know things. David yeah. seems a little clueless here.
1: That's that's an intentional indictment, I think, you know, I think think it's I think that's where you're going with it. Yes, but yeah, David has reached a point in his reign. I mean, this this was the charge that was leveled against him by his son Absalom when people would come up to the gates of Jerusalem, you know, he'd be like the king doesn't care, but I'll listen to you. Uh, you know, there's no one to hear you because you're not going to get to him. But I'll listen to you, and so you get this impression through reading these stories that David and his in the latter part of his reign just becomes detached and and distant from the people. Yeah, he's unaware.
0: Yeah, and doesn't know what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she explains that he sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle, sheep in abundance, and he's invited all the sons of the kings and Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. Um. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. <laughs> and, and not looking good. Not looking good. And then she says, and now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. So this is kind of, I guess, the bottom line is that she's reminding David mm-hmm. of, his, of his duty, of his job. She's like, David, you know, you've, you're not paying attention and you're not, you're not doing what you need to do to be king. You're not acting like king mm-hmm. at this point.
1: Yeah, one of the things that you find, and this is this is interesting, they did this in Egypt with the pharaohs as well, but it was not uncommon for one of the kings to have a co-regency to where as the, the father was fading, poor health, knew that they were coming to the end, they would pass along the, the throne to the son and they would technically overlap and co-reigning where the son becomes the king. But the father is still there reigning alongside of him, and that's what's going to happen with David and Solomon. It happens multiple times with other kings. Um, but this is kind of what Bathsheba and and Nathan are pushing for. It's like, hey, it's time. You're fading. Solomon needs your support. He needs to, to be king while you're still here.
0: And it says that uh, – she says, otherwise it will come to pass. When my lord the king sleeps with his father, dies – He's Mm -hmm. not actually going to go sleep with his father, so that would be weird.
1: (laughs) Another weird cultural thing. (laughs) Another cultural thing. What is that about? We like sleeping amongst (laughs) the
0: bones. What can I tell you? Um, But no, when the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. And this goes back to what you were saying, that if, you know, in a situation like that, if if uh, one son ascends to the throne, that the other son's... Should look out, and also their mothers and anybody that that would might support them. So she's, uh, you know, she's laying it out like we're going to get we're going to get in serious trouble if you don't take some action here. Uh, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king, "Here is Nathan the prophet." So he comes in, he bows before the king, his face to the ground, and Nathan said, "My lord, the king, <laughs> have you said Adonijah <laughs> shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne?" Um I,
1: little sarcasm there? Yeah, I more I think it's more dumb guy. Did this really happen without you knowing? You know. Uh, is this your move, David? Did you do this? I think he's trying to provoke a sense of embarrassment in David so that he has a stronger response, you know? Like i can't believe you would allow this, and david's going i don't even know about it what in the world you know <laughs> uh, and he lays it out, and he embellishes for
0: he has gone down this day and sacrificed oxen, fat and cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest, and behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying. Long live King Adonijah, and I'm thinking, if you're David, that has to rankle, because isn't that the same thing you heard about Absalom? Long live King Absalom? Weren't they shouting that about your other son?
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. This has to feel an awful lot like Deja yeah, Vu. He's,
1: he's going down a path of memories. I imagine his kind of mental Rolodex is pulling up all these correspondences going, oh, no, and not again, not again.
0: You know, and he runs off, Nathan runs down the list, but me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and uh, Beniah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? There's a lot of my lord the kings going on here. (laughs) (laughs) I think that they're, I mean, obviously they're, they're, like you say, they're playing to the David's sense of embarrassment. You didn't know this was happening, mm-hmm. um, to his sense of honor. You know, you said you promised, didn't you? Say, um, and but also just this idea that you know you have this one final duty to do for the nation Israel. You know, you mm-hmm. you you united this warring bunch of tribes, and now it's going to fall apart because you're not taking action here. Um, and un- unfortunately, I mean, oddly, it's going to fall apart anyway. Um, we see that coming up, but I do feel like this was probably David's last chance, you know, on his way out the door to sort of do something good for Israel, mm-hmm. um, and they wanted him to see that, that this is your opportunity to make good.
1: Yeah, and I think I think part of the, I mean, you see this in the the fact that he names his son Solomon. Um, which means peace and and Hebrew is is at the root of that so he's he's gotten this curse that has been handed down for his sin that the sword doesn't depart from the house and yet he has the hopefulness to name his son his very next son Solomon uh which means peace and so I think he's hoping that Solomon can kind of overcome this you know prophetically naming him Solomon may you bring peace the uh, of all the sword and devastation that's going to come upon my house And so I think there was hope that he had in Solomon, you know, to make good on what he had done to Bathsheba by exalting her son. Um, I think he's looking to Solomon to be kind of the redeemer Mm -hmm. of his kind of shattered legacy.
0: There had been, um, historical note, there was a a conversation or or David had been told that because he was a man of violence, that he wasn't going to be able to build the temple, right? Mm -hmm. And that, and, and in fact, the Lord David that his son Solomon would be the one that would do that mm-hmm. so I think that um I think you're right there I think that David was hoping that Solomon would be the one that would take that that stain of violence off of the the kingdom off of his th- yeah. off of his legacy um and yet oddly enough as we'll see when we get into chapter two we keep making references to chapter two because it's really the, the two of them really really go together it's going to be odd to sort of stop where we mm-hmm. do um Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, yes. Uh, Because when it starts off, David in chapter 2 gives Solomon some very good advice, and we'll talk about that next week. And then he says, by the way, while you're here, I need you to murder all my enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So for a son named Peace, he gave him a big list of things to do that weren't peaceful.
1: Hey, you know, know, there's an interesting thing just occurred to me. You know, David names his son Solomon. We call him Solomon. All throughout the Bible, he's called Solomon. But when David names his son Solomon, it says, "Then you know, then the Lord came to, to David, and he says, I want his name to be Jedidiah. <laughs> you know, so so God gives Solomon the name Jedidiah. David gives the name peace. Um, so it's like God saying, well, you know, he's he's going to be Jedidiah. <laughs>
0: <You know>? <laughs> peace, <laughs> might, maybe not so much.
1: Might, he might not bring the end to the sword. Y- yeah, that's um, not like it happen. Yeah, Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. So it's an exalted name. Um, but that's the name the Lord wanted to give Solomon.
0: That's interesting. It is it, interesting. It is interesting to think about that, that he said, no, 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 it's not going to be peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> so verse 28, King David answered and he says, call Bathsheba to me. She comes back into the king's presence, stands before him, and the king swore, and I actually, I really like this. The king swore saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. You know, David if david we mm-hmm. talked about this earlier, humility is the the foundation and the and the beginning of all other virtues. Um, I think that the one thing that David knew, if there 's anything that he knew it 's that he was only redeemed because God redeemed him. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew that he was otherwise irredeemable. I mean that's the beginning of the gospel. I mean that's mm-hmm. we, you know we all we all have to first understand that we're not going to be able to redeem ourselves that we that on our own um, we are like I said, we are irredeemable.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you know because this is somebody who went from being the, the the humble shepherd boy, you know who wrote the Psalms and and was so dependent upon the Lord and has this great ascendancy to power and then a mighty crash. And yet the Lord redeems him, and he returns to that humility. You know, he's, he's dealing with the consequences of the crash, but he returns to that sense of humility to where he totally recognizes, like you said, uh, I'm I'm entirely dependent upon the mercy of God. I can't save myself.
0: He continues to say, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. So no more delay. David is going to bring Solomon in, and he's going to become the king right now. Um, Bathsheba, verse 31, Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, may, the lord, may my lord, King David, live forever. King David says, Call, call to me uh, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. Uh, so they came before the king. Verse 33 And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride down on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Um, what's the deal with riding on the mule?
1: So, so this is going to be super, super important, and this is a theme. It's one of those themes that you find throughout the Bible that when you when you see somebody coming on a donkey in the Bible, you can sense that deliverance is on the way because coming on a donkey, it's not a war horse. You're not coming to conquer. You're not coming to show how mighty you are. You you can't do anything on a donkey. You're not going to lead a crusade and raise your sword and say, charge, right? Um so, if you go back through the Old Testament you know Abraham's great moment with Isaac at Mount Moriah where the Lord delivers Isaac from being sacrificed, they go there on a donkey when when Moses is going to return to Egypt they go on a donkey uh, when David is first introduced, his father sends him on a donkey to the to the battlefield carrying bread and wine. Um, and so every time one of the major deliverers comes along you get a donkey which you know you start thinking okay how does Jesus enter into Jerusalem on a well, donkey he, on right. a donkey but every time you see someone who comes on war horses and so for example um and and Samuel 1st uh, Samuel there's this, there's an entire chapter that is devoted to telling you that Saul before he becomes king Cannot find his donkeys. And you read it and you're like, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, who cares that he can't find his donkeys? What's up with the donkeys? <laughs> well, what is it telling you? He is not going to be a good king. Um, you see, Absalom, he doesn't want the donkeys. He wants the pomp and circumstance and the war horses and the chariots and he's going to be a terrible king. Uh, he's insurrectionist is overthrown, and the same thing comes with Adonijah. You know, I come with war horses and everything else, and he's going to be overthrown because they come in being big in their own eyes. And because they're big in their own eyes, you know, pride comes before destruction. That happens with all of them that come in that manner. But everybody who comes on a donkey, at least, is going to start as a good king, and Jesus will perfect that. Mm. Um, And so it's showing you – the best of rulers come on donkeys. The best of rulers come with humility that are not threatening. Mm. They want everyone to know that they're heard, that they're, you know, they relate to the commoner. Um, that's the idea.
0: Um, so in verse 32, um, he, or verse 33, rather, he tells him to send his son Solomon down on his mule, bring him down to Gihon. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, verse 34, there anoint him king over Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. Um, you shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Um, so this is going to settle the question. We're not, you know, no more, no more questions as to who's going to be king. Solomon's going to get the deal here. Um So they do that. Uh, it says that Beniah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, uh, "Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, say so." Um, as the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may He be with Solomon and make His throne greater than the throne of my King, of my Lord King David. So the priests go down and, and do as requested. Solomon is, is rides on the mule. He's brought to Gehan. They anoint him with oil. Mm-hmm. They blow the trumpet. Long live King Solomon um the people went after him making a ruckus playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy it says so that the earth was split by their noise and somebody heard them <laughs> <laughs> verse 41 it says that adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting and when joab heard the sound of the trumpet he said what does this uproar in the city mean? Rut row. Ah, yeah. <laughs> verse forty two. This is this is my favorite bit of irony from chapter one. If I don't get to if I don't get to read anything else, I want to read this verse in 42 and forty two and forty three. While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Ebiathar, the priest, came and Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man and bring good news. <laughs> verse forty three. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No. For our Lord King David has made Solomon king. That, you know, it's like if you if you ever have a moment where you want to hear that that wah wah, wah, wah that's yeah. the moment where it happens, I think.
1: Yeah, and they know at this moment that all of their scheming is being overthrown. You know, here they are at the Serpent's Rock, and everything has been overthrown by the one who now comes riding on the donkey. Um, and one of the interesting things about this, and this, I, I don't know that – we can do anything with this, but David makes sure that Solomon becomes king, and he's going to be anointed king by three different people who represent the three different biblical offices of prophet, priest, and then somebody who's kind of a royal official that's among David's mighty men Okay, um, as as an emissary. And so that, that role of prophet, priest, and king that's coming to lay upon Solomon kind of takes all of those offices um, – and says, to reign rightly, you need the blessing and and the characteristics of all three of these um, and so, as Christians, we take on all of those prophet, priest, and king. you know we reign with with royal authority, right we 're ambassadors of the king, we're sons and daughters of royalty, but we're also part of a royal priesthood, which means you know what does a priest do they're they're the ones who offer mercy they're the ones who point to to god they're the ones who bring the healing uh, spiritually but the prophet is the one who brings truth and so in all of this you know it's you know you do have somebody who executes justice like a king you do have somebody who speaks truth like a prophet and you do have somebody that's eager to extend mercy like a priest and so all of these come together to anoint Solomon Um, And I just – I thought it was interesting that he brings those three and they kind of represent those offices that you find throughout Scripture, which, by the way, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of each of them, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. That is good. He embodies all of them.
0: That's good. I like that. Um, so, the, as the story unfolds here, he uh, Jonathan explains what has happened, that they've anointed him king, and they've gone up and rejoicing the cities in an uproar. That's the noise you hear. Solomon sits on the royal throne. And then in verse 47, moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, may your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. So Mm. David bowed in response to Solomon being elevated as king. That's awesome. It is awesome. And it's also, I think, the moment where absolutely everybody (laughs) knows there's no way this is getting turned back. This is yeah. a done deal. Um, verse 48, And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. And you know, that was I think David's being genuine there. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, a, a lot of kings... The last, the last sight they see is the guy who's putting the sword <laughs> in between their breastbone, you know, here. It's like, and so I get to see somebody sitting on my throne. I get to see my son mm-hmm. sitting on my throne. And that, that was a blessing that God had given him. He lived to see the next king. That's something that not all the kings of Israel got to do. Matter yeah. of fact, few of them, <laughs> especially
1: the northern, yeah.
0: Yeah, got to do. Um, and then it says, verse 49 that all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose. And each went his own way. There was uh, there were a lot of clenching going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people I think people were leaving the room, going, "Don't tell anybody I was here. Don't tell anybody I was here." <laughs> really, seriously, did anybody take pictures while I was here? Do, 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 do. I need your phone. Don't tell anybody I was here. Um, <laughs> Verse fifty. Adonijah feared Solomon for good reason, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Um, what's that all about?
1: Well, I mean, that's the place where you go to find mercy. Okay. You know, that's where sins are forgiven, right? You'd, you'd make your sacrifices on the altar um, to atone for sin and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a posture of when you grab the horns of the altar, it's saying, I need mercy. Right, right, right. That's where you go to find mercy from the Lord. This is where I'm going to find mercy from Solomon. I need you. In other words, what he's saying is, I need you to be like the Lord is to you, to me.
0: <laughs> I mean, so it, it was sense. an appeal to Solomon, basically, yeah. like you're saying. Say, look, show me mercy.
1: I've sinned. I need, a, I need atonement. No. Um,
0: we'll find out later that it wasn't a genuine repentance. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, but it says in verse 51 that it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. For behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death With the sword, and of course, as I'm reading that, I'm like, okay, I understand. You promise you won't come in with a sword. We should add to that, or drop a big millstone on my neck, (laughs) or you know, it's like all these other ways. Like, but basically, he's asking for mercy. And Solomon says, verse fifty-two. And Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and paid homage to King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, go to your house. So it ends on, like, yeah, mercy.
1: Yeah, you're thinking, hey, this is, this is great. You know, it's going to end in mercy. You know, there's a shot that everybody's going to be reconciled, and it's going to end well. And then chapter two comes along, and it's like, wow. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's lots of uh, reckonings in, in chapter two.
0: But Solomon obviously started off with showing mercy to Adonijah. And, I, you know, I wonder sometimes in a situation like that whether, um, you know, you kind of feel like Solomon probably knew what was coming. I mean, I get that feeling, especially when you read Chapter 2. He's not surprised by what happens and, um, and how things, you know, come about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I think that it was a genuine offer. Yeah. You know, I think Solomon was hoping you know, because this guy is his half brother. Adonijah is his, his family. And I think that Solomon was really hoping that Adonijah wouldn't turn out to be wicked. Um, that he would take this opportunity. And that's a that's an interesting thing because it's a it's a it's an interesting mixture of genuinely hoping that somebody doesn't do wrong, even as you give them the opportunity not to do it while you believe they are going to do it. Yeah. Um must have yeah, been an interesting and, day in Solomon's court.
1: Yeah, and that's the the sword is going to loom very large in in this narrative, especially when you get you know, through the at least the first three chapters of First Kings, and so so David has this moment where he is told the sword is not going to depart from your house, and then here. You know, you have Adonijah begging his brother, don't put your brother, your servant, to death with the sword. And he's calling, don't allow this, you know, to come true. And the sword is going to be big. You'll see in in chapter three, it'll be the sword that Solomon calls for when the two prostitutes, which we'll get to, are having a contested debate over whose son uh, this child is. And, And the sword is always, it's going to be the answer. And, you know, there's there's a statement in the New Testament, and I find it really interesting because it's one of those statements that when you hear it come out of Jesus' mouth or when you read it coming out of Jesus' mouth, it, it's shocking. But there's this line uh, where Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace to this world. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you're going, wait, what? <laughs> you Because know, that's the you know, Prince of Peace. You know, he's the one who reconciles us with God. He's doing all... What do you mean? The sword, and and where the sword in the Old Testament, you have these kings that are always vying for power. That are always, you know, using the sword to leave dead bodies everywhere behind them. Um, the sword that Jesus is talking about will literally fall on him. You know, the the sword of judgment is going to fall on him. And think about how upside down this is. Usually, you have people who break out the sword to gain power, to climb up. Um, But with Christ, you have somebody who literally is taking execution upon himself so that his subjects can be elevated to royalty. Mm. Everything is totally upside down. You know, he is – one of the most stunning attributes of God to me is humility. Like, he's God. He's God Mm -hmm. and infinite and all of his attributes, and yet he's humble. You know, he he willingly is the one who's entitled to the throne, he's indisputed, nobody can contest it, you you couldn't even try to contest it, and yet he sets it aside, takes the curse of the sword upon himself, right, so that his subjects, the ones who have rebelled, are now co-reigning with him and Mm -hmm. made righteous and everything is put away. And one of the things you're going to see and that we've seen so far – is humanity doesn't do that you know whether it's Adonijah or Absalom or you'll see Solomon later on we're not good at transforming enemies into friends we, we don't we don't bear at personal cost um, suffering so that others can be lifted up but imagine having a king who would take the sword upon himself so that you can be lifted up so that you can have to reign with him um, and it's just, it's just a really really cool thing and with Jesus when he talks about bringing the sword what is the sword it's the word of God you know every time Solomon the sword is mentioned it's a matter of of allegiances which side are you going to fall on are you with me or are you with someone else that's always the question that the sword brings to mind and the sword of the word of God does that same thing w- where's your heart going to fall? Like when, when the when the word of God is preached to you and you're told do this, this is the desire of God for your life, you are required to respond mm-hmm. and choose a side. Am I going to worship the, the the kingdom of Sam? Am I going to go after what I want? Or am I going to bow before the king and give him my life? But the sword always reveals that. And if you give your life to the king, all the sword of your disobedience and your rebellion has fallen on him. Mm -hmm. If not, if you choose to go your own route in your own kingdom, what you'll find (laughs) is that sword is reserved for you. Mm -hmm. And the gospel gives you a way out. It gives you a way out. But Jesus, do not think I came to bring peace on this earth. I'm not coming to say everything's okay. You know, at this, I'm coming to bring a sword. I, I want to pierce into your heart and force you into a side. Are you going to live for yourself, or are you going to live for the one who created you? Hmm.
0: That's a good word. I think it's a good word to end on. Um, it's a good way to stop First Kings chapter 1. Uh, folks, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, uh, that this study has been profitable to you. We invite you to come back next week as we pick up from the cliffhanger of Adonijah, seemingly finding peace and we will learn what happens uh, there we'll pick it up from there um, if you'd like to correspond with us our email address is out of water at rio vista church.com that's rio vista church.com uh, at that website you can also find all the back episodes of our podcast at rio outofwater slash out of water as well as you can find us on apple podcasts on google play or on spotify Uh, Sam and I will be back next week with the second chapter in the book of 1 Kings and the conclusion of uh, Adonijah's story, anyway, (laughs) the the end of Adonijah. Uh, And we look forward to, to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.